Good morning, church. It's always good for us to gather together. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the moments in our days and our, our weeks and our months and our years that are set aside for us to open our hearts to truths that we, we know, but we sometimes forget. We thank you for the time we've had to sing together, to pray together, to gather around your table. We thank you. Kelly reminded us of the resurrection hope that only you can give us. And God, wherever we are this morning in our, our hearts, I pray that over these next few minutes, that as we open up our, our souls to your word, that you would reach us, that you would speak personally to each one of us through your Holy Spirit, and that whether we get to, to be with our mom today, whether we're hoping to see our mom again in a future day, whether we think back in positive ways about our, our childhood or whether our, our, our memories are conflicted. If, if we're here this morning and we always wanted to be a mom and it just didn't go the way we had hoped, God, I pray that no matter where it is we're coming from, that you would embrace us and reach us and speak your love to us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. When I was growing up, my mother was the primary storyteller in my life. And I, I can still remember her asking me and my, my sisters to sit down in the living room. And her eyes would start to gleam and she would start to paint pictures for us of, of a story. And, and every time she would do it, even when I was a, a little guy, I would focus, and I would listen, and I would pay attention. She, she often told us stories from Scripture, and the way she would tell those stories, it just it brought them to life. It was like we were there. And as much as I wish I, I could tell you this morning that all of my favorite stories that my mother would, would tell, tell us, it was always a Bible story that I most wanted to hear, but... The truth is, I had a particular favorite story, and it was about me. I know you're surprised, right, (laughs) that that was my favorite story. I was born with a medical condition called a club foot. If you don't know what that is, that's just kind of a broad medical term for anything that causes uh, your foot to be kind of twisted and bent and, and just generally out of place. And in almost every case, if the doctors don't do something, if you have a club foot, you might not be able to walk. And so I ended up needing surgery when I was, I think, about six months old. And after that surgery, to help my, my leg, after they had done the surgical procedure for it to grow straight and true, they had to put a, a cast on my leg. And it was all the way from the tips of my toe up almost to my hip. And you may not know this about babies, but 
they grow really, really fast. And so what ended up needing to happen is that my mother was the one who would cut my cast off of me every week so she could take me back to the the doctors and they would put a new cast on me. And so she would tell this story to me and I would imagine it, you know, and especially when I was a little boy, I wanted to be big and strong and brave and so I always liked the point where she talked about, you know, she would kind of put me in the kitchen sink and soak my my cast, my leg, and then she would pull out a big, sharp knife. And she would start to cut this leg off, leg off, that's what I imagined, right? (laughs) She would cut the cast off of my leg. And she would tell me, I was always terrified I was gonna cut you. And I definitely cut myself. But I never cut you one single time. Now, there was a part of me that was always a little disappointed that there wasn't more danger involved in the story. But the biggest part of me was overwhelmed at the thought that my, that my mom loved me enough and loved me in such a way that she would cut herself before she would let any harm come to me. And it's a little... It's a little strange for that to be your favorite story growing up. I got so used to having a cast on that I would cry when they took it off. And I would cry until the new cast was on and then I felt like myself again. And that's because I was loved in a way where I didn't know I was broken. And and so that's why I think in some ways it's strange for that to be your your favorite story growing up, but in other ways, it's, it's beautiful because don't we all want to be loved by someone that way? Don't, don't we all need at some time in our life, whether it's when we're a couple of months old or, or whether it's when we're 66 years old, like Kelly, don't we all need someone who loves us enough to, when we might be hurt, when we might have to suffer, that they drop everything to rescue us? I mean, the truth is, I was in absolutely no danger even when my mom was wielding a sharp weapon in my direction. How's that possible? It's possible because of a mother's love. And that is the love that we're focusing on on this day. It's the love that we're opening our hearts to believe in. And it's a love that all of us know. That if we didn't have it in our lives, our lives, well, they wouldn't be worth living. The best stories we ever tell are always about someone loving someone else enough to rescue them from whatever it is that's threatening them. The best stories we ever tell are always about someone loving someone else enough to rescue them from having to to deal with a battered body or a broken heart, a beaten down dream, a badly bleeding hope. A person does whatever they can to stop it, to shield, to protect, to watch over, to do something about it. 
And you and I, we desperately need stories like this, stories in our lives that are all about the people who have found the courage to do that, the courage to risk so that they can rescue, to to risk being hurt so that they can help. And the reason that we need to hear those stories and we need to hold those stories in our hearts, brothers and sisters, is because the truth is, as long as we're living, there will always be things we're facing that can threaten us and hurt us and scare us. And so it's not enough to say that in the past, someone loved me that way. That in the past, someone cared about me that way. We all need to be reminded this morning That if we know we're going to have to face hard, difficult things again, that there's going to be people who come running again. People who do whatever they can again to be there for us. The poet Emily Dickinson once said, A mother is one to whom you hurry when you're troubled. And you know, I know moms don't only want us to call when we're in trouble. But you know you have a mom in your life if you have someone to call when you don't know who else to call. We run, you and I, to the women in our lives who have served as our mothers because we know from past experience that they really will, they'll stop at nothing to do whatever they can to rescue us from whatever it is that's threatening to undo us. I want us to read from Exodus chapter 2, a story about a mother and her son. Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, now that doesn't mean she waited to see if he was cute enough, It means that her heart was overwhelmed. Just like every mother's heart is overwhelmed when they look at their child. Right? When she saw that, she she decided that she had to hide him because Pharaoh had made it illegal. He had passed a death sentence for all Hebrew baby boys. And she knows that punishment could be coming, but she can't help herself, so she hides him. Verse 3, but when, when she could hide him no longer, it's difficult to hide a baby if people are listening. But we should have some perfect sound effects here in just a second if I'm quiet enough, right? But when, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. You got to wonder while she's making this basket if she just keeps thinking about the story of the ark. And praying, do for my little boy what you did for Noah and his family. Right? And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. I don't think out of morbid curiosity. She can't stop watching because she knows how hard this moment is for her mother. And then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she had compassion for him. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said, because she knows what she's supposed to do. 
She knows her father's law. And his sister finds the courage to walk up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and mother him, right? Nurse him for for me and, and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. My guess is that, just like me, this was probably Moses' favorite story when he was growing up. And it had to make it even more interesting to him, captivating to him, that it was a secret story. It wasn't a story you could just tell anybody. Because a lot of people, a lot of women had to stand up with courage and compassion. A lot of people had to risk in order to rescue. They they had to be open to being hurt in order to help. Moses, he's got a lot of Amazing chapters in the story of his life, doesn't he? The burning bush, ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, the bread flowing uh, from floating down from heaven, water flowing out of a rock. I mean, there's so many miraculous things that go on in Moses' life. It'd be hard to choose which one would be his favorite. But I have to believe that this was his favorite story because it all starts. Right here, doesn't it? It's it's the story of a baby boy whose life should be impossible. And it's only made possible because of the unwavering, undeniable devotion of his mother. I mean, the way I read it, the first hero in the story of the Exodus isn't Moses. It's his mom. It's this woman who knows what's at stake if she ignores Pharaoh's decree about Hebrew baby boys and she thinks about who she is and who she wants to be and the kind of world she wants to live in and she says, no, I've got to find a way to make this work. I've got to find a way to make this possible. She puts her life on the line to save his. If it wasn't for her, None of this would have happened. If it wasn't for her, we wouldn't know anything about Moses. We wouldn't know anything about what's only made possible because of her courage and her grit. Every child needs that kind of hero. Every child needs a mother. Every child needs a maternal presence of immeasurable strength because even the youngest child knows somewhere deep down that these women in our lives who are there for us before we can take care of ourselves, right? they're not just able to help us when we trip and we fall down and we skin our knees. They're not just able to comfort us when we're afraid of some imaginary monster under the bed. There's a moment in time in our lives where we understand and we realize that the way these women love us 
means they can protect us from anything. Until we realize that they can't. I suppose that's a part of of growing up, isn't it? Of moving from that place of of believing someone who's pouring their life into your life, right? Someone who's holding nothing back. You you have times where you think, if, if someone loves me that way, they really can stop anything bad from happening to me. They, they can stop anything that's threatening me from actually reaching me. But inevitably, all of us go through something where someone loves us as much as life itself, and they're trying to protect us, they're trying to be there for us, and they just can't. That's a difficult thing to have to wrestle with. It's a, it's a difficult truth to have to face. And it's not only difficult for us as we realize that in our relationships to, to people in our lives, to, to the mothers who have taken care of us, it's also excruciatingly difficult for them to have to admit it to, to themselves. To realize it's not just a matter of effort. It's not just a matter of wanting it. It's the matter of all of us in this room are ordinary, everyday people who have heroic moments. We really do. But it takes more than one person for God to show us the depth and the scope of his love. There are limits. There are boundaries. There are complications. There is distance itself. We learn from watching our mothers, the women who who pour their lives into us, right, that how hard we try matters far more than how well we do on our own. Moses' mother, by all accounts, tries her very hardest to meet every need that Moses might have had as he comes into this world. But the storyteller in Exodus makes it clear that she can't do this on her own. That at some point she realizes the limit. She realizes how far she can manage to go without any other help. In fact, if you open up your Bible to Exodus, we find that God was anticipating this very problem before Moses is even born, right? But before she's able to hold him, God is already working through other people in his life. Now, they're in partnership with Moses' mother, but they aren't Moses' mother, right? If you go back to Exodus chapter 1, just a few verses before where we started reading in chapter 2, we find that there are these two courageous midwives who've been told by Pharaoh, I'm worried about how many Hebrews are, are living within the boundaries of Egypt, and so I need you to do something for me, something terrible, something I know you're not going to want to do, but it's, it's necessary at this point. I want you to make sure that every time a Hebrew baby is born, In the slave quarters, I want you to kill the baby. Pharaoh underestimated their courage. He underestimated their care. 
And so when these midwives are told to do it, they decide, I don't want to live in a world like that. I can't be a part of that. I am going to stand up and I'm going to stand against the power that would threaten the life of a baby. And so they say no. That's why when Moses is born, his mother even has the option to hide him for three months. All it would have taken is a word from one of those midwives to one of Pharaoh's guards, and this story would be done. And then as she has to find the the hope and the trust in God to make this little basket and to place her heart and her soul in that little basket and then nudge it out into the current of the Nile, and she sinks down in grief, you could think the story's over, but no. His older sister can't take her eyes off him. She's not going to stop watching him for a second. And so she walks along the, the riverbank with the basket. That's why she's there when another person comes into view in the story. Pharaoh's daughter. Miriam's there because she's with the basket. She's with Moses. And so when, when the, the moment happens where Pharaoh's daughter sees the child and she's moved with care and compassion and courage and says, I know what my father has commanded. I know the kind of world he wants to live in. I don't want to live in that world. There's even a female slave that's mentioned who goes and gets the baby. Right? There's, there's this community of women who in their world were overlooked and pushed aside and underestimated at every turn. And it's through those lives, through those hearts, through that integrity and that tenacity and that dedication that you and I are blessed to live in a world where the Exodus isn't some fairy tale. It's the truth. And it's a truth that's only made possible because of the ways that God is able to take our efforts, to to take our dedication and our devotion and say, you know what? You do all that you can. You try as hard as you can. And you're going to realize you're going to reach the end of yourself. And it's at that moment that for your sake, for your children's sake, for the world's sake, I'll meet you there at the moment of you realizing this is how far you can go. This is how much you can protect. This is how much you can shield. And then you look up and you realize there's still more danger and there's still more difficulty and there's still more disappointment. I want you to know, God says to every single one of us who've ever tried to give our lives to a younger person, to someone we're trying to raise, and we look at all the risks and all the difficulties, God says to us, you aren't investing in them alone. I'm with you. And when you reach the end of yourself, I will rescue them. I'll be there for them. I'll watch over them. And we need, we need to remember that today. Because this is really one of those moments in our lives in the course of a year where I think we all, all of us, we don't have simple feelings or emotions or memories on this day. It's complicated. It always is. Because even if you had an amazing relationship with your own biological mother, 
There are times in your own memory where whatever was going on was too much for her. When whatever was happening, she tried her hardest and it just wasn't enough. And here's, here's what I want to say to every single one of us is that at their best, the women in our lives who God gives to us to raise us, it's not about them replacing God. It's about them pointing us to him. And so if we start to demand that the ordinary everyday people who have heroic moments who are raising us, if we start to get angry or resentful because they weren't perfect in their ability to protect us or shield us, at times maybe even from themselves. We realize on this day that we can learn to have grace for one another because God is greater. God is better. God is deeper. God is the one who reaches every single one of us in a difficult, complicated world. He reaches us, protects us, works through not only the women that raised us, but the community of women in our lives who God grants us to help us experience even more aspects of his goodness and his presence and his faithfulness. I don't care who you are. If you're raising a child, you're not raising them alone. God is with you. And you know, one of the things that I want to point out in this story is if it's true that Moses needs more women in his life who are willing to risk, to rescue, and they're willing to be hurt, to help, then it's true for us too. And I think of, of many times in my life where my mother was a living reminder to me of the, the goodness and the strength and the tenderness, the patience of God. But I am thankful that while my mother was the, the very first hero in my life, the person who was willing to hurt so I didn't have to, I'm thankful that I have other people in my life that God's blessed me with, other women in my life, women of faith, women of goodness, who, who have walked alongside of me and who have, I know this has become a bad term in our world, who mothered me. I didn't say smothered me, right? Who mothered me. I think of uh, specifically one time when I was, I was getting more and more sure that I wanted to be a preacher, but I was still pretty young, and my dad, who was the, the preacher at our church, you know, he had some connections, and so he could get me some pulpit time on Sunday nights especially, so every once in a while, I'd be preaching, and when I was about 13 years old, I remember trying to preach this one sermon, and I got to the point where, for whatever reason, I was dedicated to the term heart of hearts. Except for it didn't come out like that. I said heart of hearts. <laughs> and should have left it there. Didn't. Tried to say it right. Two more times. <laughs> Kept making the same mistake. Heart of hearts, heart of hearts. Okay, and I'm dying on stage. I have these so-called friends sitting on the front row of my same age. They can't stop laughing. 
and they're pointing and they're mocking and I, I, I didn't even remember what point I was trying to make about heart of hearts, but I got through it <laughs> and, you know, we're singing and I am trying, I, I'm trying to plan my escape to the parking lot. And so as soon as that song is over, man, I'm booking it and I watch this little clump of older ladies they like break into this formation and block my exit. And they know what I'm, I don't ever want to preach again. I decide I can't do it. I'm mortified. I'm humiliated. I don't want to do it. I'll do something else. I'm, this, I'm not doing that ever again. And I get there and this lady named Dorothy says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hey, let's talk about what happened up there. And my heart sinks. My heart sinks, I guess I should say. (laughs) And one by one, these women of the church spoke life back into me. Not one of them said one thing about my vocal tone problem. They were actually listening to what I was trying to say. And They knew what I needed to hear, and they knew what I didn't need to hear. In fact, my friends never said a word to me about it again, and I found out years later that this little sweet old lady threatened them. (laughs) In Jesus' name. Uh, We need more than one mother. And God gives them all to us. Whether we know it, whether we're aware of it, or whether they are. This is a community thing. We need one another. We need more than one person to represent the unconditional love of God. And if we demand it in perfect, pristine flawlessness from one person... We're going to create a problem in our relationships with that person where they just don't ever feel like they can be enough for us. And here's the truth about the gospel. They aren't. And it's okay. Because they were never supposed to be. You know, we don't tend to talk about the church as our mother very often in our tradition. And I know that there's a lot of history there. And I'm not in any way saying that I fully even understand the symbolism. But I know this. I'm thankful that a community raised me. I'm thankful that even though the mother who gave birth to me has spent more time with me than any other woman in my life that God has sent to me and blessed me with, I'm so thankful that there's a congregation of women they're not just, they didn't just give me life, but they helped nurture my life. They helped nurture my faith. And I don't want to be dramatic here, but I think on that Sunday night all those years ago, they found a way to help me rededicate myself to what I believed I was called to do and be with my life, and I was about to give it up because of one painful experience. And they said, not on my watch. Don't we all have stories like that? 
stories about women who've watched over us, who have, have taken care of us, who've encouraged us, women of, of faith who have faithfully endured pain so that we don't have to. I, I just, I want you to open your heart up to a sense of gratitude and thankfulness that God doesn't just find a way to watch over and take care of and protect Moses like that. He's done the same exact thing for you. And if you don't know it, it's because you don't know the whole story or you haven't opened your heart up to remember everything that's happened or because you, you, you've gone through enough that, that you don't know how to get back to that place. But brothers and sisters, on this day, on Mother's Day, I don't want us to throw up shields around our hearts. I don't want us to try to protect ourselves. I want us to believe that we live in a world where God is using these kinds of people to remind us that he is here. I mean, I know he's coming back, but he's here. And we need to embrace him. And we need to open ourselves to be embraced by him. Whatever whatever person he sends to us when we need it the most, may we know that they're a gift from him, that they are to us living evidence of God's love in real life. And I want you to live with this conviction. God has sent people into your life for you because of the calling God has placed on your life. You're worth that much. And what you do is going to matter that much. We just have to find the strength and the courage to follow through. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I just want to encourage you. I mean, if you haven't already sent the card, it's too late. <laughs> but in addition to your biological mother, or maybe your adoptive mother, or uh, someone who, who helped raise you, your foster mother, in addition to that, think of some of the, the women in your life who you know God sent into your life when you needed them the most, and reach out to them today. Text them, call them, thank them. They may have no idea how much that meant to you. And they deserve to know. So call them, reach out, bless them, and reflect to them the same love that they've poured into you. Let's stand together and sing.